Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989-898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Yes, the Savage Nation Friday edition. Now, look, I can talk about the coronavirus from today until tomorrow. Anyone could do that. We can read stories, and that's all you want to hear, I guess. And I will a little bit here and there. But what can I tell you that you don't already know? With one or two clicks, you can know everything that everyone knows, right? And those of you who are so inclined can even read the science articles. I mean, I have the headlines. Travel from New York, spread the coronavirus to the entire nation. But Cuomo won't be held accountable. He's busy giving meatball and sausage speeches thinking he'll be president. Don Cuomo, instead of talking about how he spread the virus throughout the country through mismanagement, but I don't want to talk about that. I'll talk about something else Italian, but it's not about Cuomo. A little while, in a minute, you'll see what. Um, Malaria drug. Sadly, another new study confirms no new benefit. But what really is bothering me that I don't want to talk about in any great detail is watching them kill the pigs and the cows and the sheep and the goats and plowing under the lettuces and the tomatoes and spilling milk into creeks. It's killing me to watch the stupidity and the mismanagement of the federal government. I have studied history. I knew about the famines that led to Mao Zedong's communist revolution. And I watched the famines that followed Stalin's misguided agricultural policies in the 1930s where 30 million Russians starved. I am telling you that famine could follow this disaster because of the idiocy of the federal government. They don't have to kill the animals and plow them under. Never heard of freezing? The Chinese do not slaughter their pigs and throw them into the river or burn the animals alive. The Chinese are smarter than we are. They slaughter the animals that they can't use and they freeze them. Farmers don't freeze them, the government freezes them. 
Better to bail out the uh, farmers this way, pay for the crops and the livestock, than bail out the hedge funds. You can't eat a hedge fund, can you? But then again, you're interested in watching billions on TV and you think billionaires will eat each other at the end of the day. You're probably right if they get through eating us. What will American businesses look like in six months? That's something I want to talk about. I got this from a young businessman who's very smart, knows a lot more than I do about business, much smarter than I am. He said, very sad, no answers. All stores will be out of business. Nobody can operate a go-to business in a restaurant with no alcohol sales. He said, these places only make money when it is 80 to 100% capacity. That small margin is where they make a profit. He said, all the restaurants will crumble soon. Far worse than it is now. Nobody will pay rent. Everyone with a small business, by and large, will go out of business. Only the chains will survive. There won't be any local Italian restaurants left. It'll be uh, you know, one chain restaurant with Airsats Italian food. He said the store owners will become managers for large corporations to avoid starving to death. The idea of independent business ownership is largely dead in America. You know, we've heard the bomb go off. We've seen the flash. But we haven't yet seen the crumbling of the buildings and the devastation. That's because the government is pumping it up with the oxygen of bailouts. I'm sad to tell you that we won't see the devastation for six to nine months, and then we won't recognize America. Now, that's why I really don't want to talk about the news. It's terrible, and I don't want to bum you out. So what am I doing at night to get away from all of this? I'm watching a lot of TV. I'm sick of the Mexican mafia movies. I've had enough of the murder and the slaughter and the mayhem. I don't want to watch it anymore. I'm watching a very interesting piece of art called My Brilliant Friend on HBO. You say, oh, what the hell is that about? I want to talk about it for a minute, which is why I played the Fellini music. My Brilliant Friend is based upon a series of Neapolitan novels that uh, were written, or were are written, and the scripts are written by a woman who we don't know because it's a pseudonym. And it starts with two young girls in post-war Italy, 1950s, living in a housing development and built in the middle of nowhere. I was shocked when I read more about it to find out that the artists in Italy who built this, they built the sets for my brilliant friend. It's not even a real housing complex. Anyway, it traces the lives of these two girls over a 60-year period, and one of them becomes a famous novelist. What I loved about it the most is the poor neighborhood that they depict in this in the Naples of 19, the 1950s. It's a neighborhood of poor people filled with violence and strife. And the girls find each other. And one is uh, a very, very brilliant girl. And they're expected not to go beyond elementary school. The families are poor and they say girls don't go to uh, even middle school. But one of the girls, Elena, is so smart that she captures the attention of a spinster teacher, one of her primary school teachers. And she encourages this girl to escape the life of the plebeian class to which she is born. And she turns out to be a prodigy. And she taught herself to read and write, this poor girl. She earns the highest grades in the class. See, there was no affirmative action then, where they took dummies and put them into uh, Harvard and then turned Harvard into a cesspool of stupidity. I watched these scenes of the girls in the elementary school and the boys and how they were drilled 
to do mathematical com- computations in their brain, and they were challenged in front of the other classmates. How much is 1,675 divided by four? And whoever comes up with the, fir- the right answer first wins in front of the classroom. Now, could you imagine doing that in America today when you have so many morons who don't even belong in the classroom? Can you imagine what this country is going to look like when this generation of idiots become teachers and professors? Well, you don't have to wonder about it. It's already happened. Uh, Worse yet, some of them become politicians. So you look at post-war Italy and you look at how the kids were raised in school in a very, very difficult environment where you really had to perform to, to get ahead. I was raised the same way in New York in the 1950s. Remember I told you about the uh, math teacher I had in high school with a missing couple of fingers on his hand, allegedly from a bomb he set off in the, the IRA? Remember we heard the rumors? I forget his name, Mr. McArdle. I don't remember. He's probably long gone. He was a tough math teacher. But you see, when the tests would come back, he'd read the scores out in the front of the classroom with your name. And it's too damn bad if you didn't do well. He didn't care if you turned red. In fact, he wanted you to turn red if you were a dummy or lazy. Now, of course, the dummy goes to the head of the class, goes right to Harvard or to Yale, to Yale Law School, or becomes a DA in San Francisco, the dummy communist. That's how it worked in those days. So McArdle would read out the grades. That's why this series on TV reminded me so much of my impoverished childhood. Although I didn't grow up in post-war Italy, I grew up in post-war America. And although I didn't grow up in a particular slum, well, in the beginning it was a slum, but we didn't know it. It looked clean to me because everything was clean and neat in that, quote, slum. Of course, it didn't uh, last that. Once they put people in there who couldn't afford to live, even to pay their own rent, and the city started paying their rent, they threw fire, you know, mattresses out of the window on fire, garbage built up in the hallways, and they blamed someone else. But when I grew up in that, quote, slum, everything was immaculate, clean, clean. And no one molested children in those days. If there was even a hint of someone who was off in those neighborhoods, the men would beat them up, throw them out of the neighborhood. Yeah, I'm telling you the way it was. If there was a hint of a perv in the neighborhood, they threw them off a building. I heard about it. I heard about it. My mother took me once up to, uh, I think, the Grand Concourse, and she pointed to the top of a building. And she said a little boy was hurt up there by a man. Never go with a man. Never go with a man. I said, what happened to that man? She said, the men found out who it was and threw him off the building. That was the justice. That was the justice in those days. So when I watch this, please don't call me about the disease. I I don't want to hear any more about testing and diseases. I I can't do it. I'd rather for a few more minutes, if you don't mind, stick to a piece of art. Why? Because we're all watching too much television. And most of it is garbage. But my brilliant friend is a work of art that's made for the whole family. It's in Italian with English subtitles, but the Neapolitan dialect is so thick that there are even subtitles even for the Italians who watch it. Can you believe this? And the artistic ancestors of this amazing production are Italy's great neorealist directors whose names you may remember. They were household names for me. Uh, Vittorio De Sica, Visconti, Rossellini, Fellini. Some of these names are familiar to my audience. And what you see are two poor girls with poor clothing who fall in love with reading and books. And they're reading Little Women together on a bench. That's how it starts. And then you see the thugs in the neighborhood and you see the hardworking people in the neighborhood and you see dusty fields, abandoned buildings, stray dogs, even goat herds. 
All I can say is I recommend my brilliant friend on HBO, and you will see something beautiful about life. The cinematic vision of my brilliant friend is something to behold, and it's something for the whole family. Anyway, that's the opening to that, and I can go now, I guess, to the horror of the world. What I'd like to read for you now are a list of my Savage podcast titles from February 24th to the present, and you judge for yourself where I have been and where I might go. On February 24th, I wrote The Real Threat of Coronavirus. 26th, I wrote Coronavirus is a Real Threat, plus the Democrat debate. By the way, where are the Democrats, those who would have been president? Where is Bernie Sanders during the coronavirus? Is he still living? Is he, is he even alive? Where are all of the others who would have been president? We don't hear from them. I guess they've let uh, Biden be the only spokesman for the far left. Uh, apparently, Biden is in the basement of a nursing home somewhere in Delaware putting out uh, synthetic vi- uh, images of himself. I don't know where he is. March 2nd, common sense solutions to preventing the spread of coronavirus. March 4th, a tale of two viruses. March 6th, are you suffering from coronaphobia? March 9th, cruise ship sick should have been put on hospital ship. March 9th, the American dream is still alive. Bernie represents the Soviet dream. March 12th, lies from the left and right about COVID-19. March 13th, national emergency, the panic of complacency. March 16th, virus news you can use, latest science on COVID-19. March 18th, giving up our freedoms without a whimper. Now, it's interesting that on March 18th, I was talking about giving up our freedoms without a whimper because that's become quite a uh, a prevalent topic in America today when we see cops body slamming women who won't put on a mask. Giving up our freedoms without a whimper, March 18th. March 20th, state lockdowns by liberal Democrat governors equals fascism. I did that on March 20th. I saw that one coming. March 23rd, those of you who don't know who I am and are confusing me with someone else, I, I did a podcast entitled Constitution Killed by a Virus. March 25th, for those of you who don't know who I am, we're all socialists now, thanks to the relief bill. March 27th, who got special deals from the stimulus package? Fatality rate may be far lower from coronavirus. March 30th, Cuomo's meatball dinner. Pelosi blames Trump for coronavirus deaths. April 1st, the worst is yet to come, keeping his spirits up during the pandemic. April 3rd, is the virus about social control or is it worse than we fear? April 6th, is hydroxychloroquine safe and effective against COVID-19? Interview with Dr. R. Nevin. We both said no. April 10th, for those of you who don't know who I am, Fauci goes full Nazi. April 13th, the greatest public health blunder in world history, led by Dr. Slouchy. April 15th, it shines deliberately sick in the world. Wall Street wins, Main Street loses. April 17th, for those of you who don't know who I am, how epidemics have destroyed nations in the past. April 20th, the America we know and love will never return. April 22nd, malaria drug fails and our herd mentality fails America. 24th of April, don't use Clorox to cure coronavirus. April 27th, science says time to end the lockdown plus your favorite COVID TV shows. April 29th, fascism arrives with a smiley face, not a swastika. Big sister is watching over you. May 1st, shut down activities loud in California and selenium-rich foods. May 4th, ineffective and dangerous. Savage says he will refuse to take a coronavirus vaccination. 
and May 6th, my last show before today, to destroy Trump, they're willing to destroy America. The lockdown hoax. I'll be right back. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Okay, you know I'm a car guy. You know I've had a Hellcat. And with the ever-increasing numbers of cars like Dodge, BMW, and Volkswagen, and models like the Hellcat, X3, and Jetta, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. We all know that. I'm a car guy, and I'm telling you why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while a counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com right in your home and in your pocket. One reason to repair and maintain your cars is to save money that you can then use for other important things like the mortgage or food. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, 100% more for the exact same auto parts in a chain store or new car dealership when you could do it at home on your own computer? Now, you may not know this, but chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and reliably low they are. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible, rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. Does not require this. You could just do it yourself. RockAuto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Just go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet sets. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered right to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. But best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write SAVAGE in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. That's S-A-V-A-G-E. They have an amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. Don't stand online in an auto parts store and wait for the hostile clerk to get back to you. Go to rockauto.com. All the parts your car will ever need. Rock auto. All the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast. I know it's falling on deaf ears because people are suffering right now and frightened. Not everyone, of course. If you own a hedge fund or a bank, you're in business, or you own a big restaurant chain, you've never had it so good. Uh, you'll be getting a new uh, Gulfstream, I suppose, while others are riding on, uh, on donkeys in the streets. Now, look, I introduced the show by talking about a lot of things. 
Yeah, they meant to flatten the curve and they flatten your life. I understand that. But I talked about a piece of art on HBO, my brilliant friend in Italian. I talked about, um, oh, malaria drug, no benefit, a new study. I talked about how famine could follow because farmers are destroying the crops and killing their animals and how absurdly stupid this is. I talked about how American business will look like in six months. It won't look like anything that you can imagine. By the way, what's going to happen to all of the uh, malls with department stores? I'm, I'm driving around. I see empty malls, Macy's, Nordstrom. Let's say, God forbid, they all go out of business. They close them down. What are they going to convert these huge spaces to? Someone asked me that. I mean, countries change. Sometimes they just abandon things. Did you know that? You look at post-war Europe, and you saw abandoned areas of cities that you couldn't believe. Say, oh, well, it can't happen here. We'll be back. Listen, I'm not a spokesman for the government. I'm not a spokesman for the Trump administration. I'm not a better business bureau booster. If anything, I'm a realist. And I'm, I'm quite sober about what this could look like. The bomb has gone off. We've seen the flash. But we haven't seen the devastation. It's as though a neutron bomb was exploded over America in the form of a virus. Phone number here is 855-407-282. You can call if you're streaming the show. Same number on any topic you care to uh, talk about. 855-400-SAVAGE. Michael Savage, a host like no other. We have a very specific plan, probably the most specific plan. And the governing philosophy here is... I understand the emotion and the anxiety and the stress. Hey, and we will keep all you all closer down as quickly as possible. Everybody does, myself included. You come to the black uh, hand, you need something. You don't operate out of emotion and no, passion, no, right? No, you leave you it stay to, with uh, facts and data. You leave it to Papa Como. So we have been doing that all along. We follow the science. We follow the facts. We follow yeah, the data. Right, and we're we going to it, reopen the, man, the Okay, data. we got it. We got it. We got it. The science. You can hire scientists like you hire... You know what? Salsa di presamolo e panola. I think I'm going to talk about a recipe instead of Cuomo. I try to talk about high art instead of low politicians of Italian heritage, but no one called on it. What can I do? Line two, Lori in Sonoma, California. Thanks for calling on the high art. What's uh, your uh, statement? Yes, I am calling about this. It was so refreshing. Dr. Savage, I know you have all of this insight on economy and epidemiology, but it's so refreshing to hear you um, bring up this beautiful series, my brilliant friend. And have you have you seen it? Yes, I've, I'm addicted to it. It's I'm addicted. I can't. But you know what the beauty here is? Here is I am a man from another generation, probably a sexist at heart, raised in that genre. No question about it. I was raised to be very sexist towards women. Uh, and I'm watching this thing about two young girls growing up in Italy in a poor neighborhood, and I'm captivated by it. I'm astounded by it. Because it's written by a woman, a very famous Italian novel. This novel, by the way, has sold 10 million copies uh, around the world. That's how famous this novelist is. But no one even knows who she is. You know that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, Laurie, thank you for hearing me. I'm so glad there's at least one Savagette in the audience who has a sense of art. Yes. Thank you for that call. No, thank you. Because I'm telling you right now, see, <clears throat> there's certain things that are eternal. Economies come and go. Uh, God is eternal. That's number one, but art is eternal. If we've learned anything from history 
about lives and societies and civilization. It's that art is eternal. Why do you think people still study the Gothic cathedrals or the Roman Colosseum or the Greek columns that we all learned about in Art 101? Why? Because they're eternally beautiful and uplifting. The great cathedrals were meant to be uplifting. So when a piece of art comes along to lift us out of the morass that we are living in as a result of this devastation, all we have are these lowlifes like Cuomo giving us this nonsensical pedestrian garbage about reopening based on science. We know the scientists can be bought like prostitutes to give you an answer you want. <clears throat> That's why I wanted to talk a little bit about a subject uh, such as what's worth watching on TV for the whole family. But I'll take any other topic, you know. Uh, how about pine nut sauce? Salsa di presamola e pinoli. Now, I like pesto sauce, but I don't eat it because it's normally made with dairy, right? So I'm going to just give you a little recipe because I'm cooking a lot more than I have in a long time in the kitchen, drinking my white wine. No cream, no butter, no dairy. You just put it over white fish if you want, halibut, sea bass, petrali. You can cook the fish three, four minutes in a pan. And what do you need? Simple. See, again, it's a peasant dish. Let me explain something. I grew up poor, so I have peasant tastes. I'm proud of that. I would rather have been born rich, but I wasn't. I was born poor. I'd rather my father owned a factory, but he didn't. <clears throat> I hated having to go to school and study and make something of myself. I would much rather have walked into my father's business, but he had no business for me to walk into. So I had to be a self-made man. So I still have peasant tastes, which in a, some way is fine. Take Italian parsley, garlic cloves, pine nuts, extra virgin olive oil, basic stuff. Chop the parsley, the garlic, and the pine nuts. Pound it into a rough pesto in a mortar and pestle. You put it in a small bowl, you add olive oil to form a liquid pesto. Bingo, there's your pesto sauce, no dairy. And you put it over a piece of cooked fish, and you have a, 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 a dish fit for a king. Peasant dish. I love peasant dishes because they're the best. No fancy sauces, no drizzle this, drizzle that. We're all going to have to learn to be peasants again. You heard me. We're going to learn how to be peasants again. It worked for your grandfather and your grandmother or your great-grandmother or your grandfather. They didn't die from it. And we're going to eat less. We're going to eat less meat. Be better for our health anyway. The animals won't be uh, raised to be slaughtered. It's going to be a different world. I know it. It's never going to be the same. You say, oh, I'm a pessimist. I'm a pessimist. I'm gonna, so sue me because I'm a pessimist. That's all. Can you sue a pessimist for not being a false optimist? Well, go ahead and sue me. I'll give you my address. Farmers burying crops, killing livestock, pouring milk into a river. I never heard of anything like this. The stupidity and I, you know, I studied famines in ancient China. The Yellow River once was mismanaged in the year, in the 11th century when I was writing books on trees and plants I was also studying history. And China had so mismanaged its land policies by chopping down trees along the Yellow River. What happened? You chop the trees down along a river. You cause soil erosion. What happens then? You ruin the river. Idiocy in ancient China. We have idiocy of the equivalent of the Yellow River catastrophe here in America happening when you see the pigs being killed instead of being slaughtered and, preserved, and, and, and let us say, uh, frozen. The Chinese don't just slaughter the animals and burn them. Say, well, you need slaughterhouses to do that. That's correct. And so why are the slaughterhouses closed? Because the workers don't want to die of the disease. They want to get the disease. So what do you use? There's answers to that too. 
What do you do to get the workers for the slaughterhouses? I will tell you what you do. You take nonviolent prisoners and you give them time off their sentence on a volunteer basis if they'll work in a slaughterhouse for three to six months. How's that? The people would volunteer. You give them the proper precautions, the masks, the gloves. You help them not get sick. They're doing a risk basis. They're going to get out of jail sooner. Many of them would rather slaughter a, work in a slaughterhouse than be slaughtered in a prison. So they'd work that. And then, of course, get mad at me if you want, but there's well, how many men in the military doing nothing? We're waiting for a war that'll never happen. We have a war on our hands right now. Next, we're going to have a war of famine. While farmers dump food and crops, grocery stores run dry. I read that uh, 50% of all of the milk in this country is used to make mozzarella cheese. Would you believe this? And since the pizza, pizza chains have been closed down by the morons who are running the country, they're pouring the milk into the, into, the, into the streams. The milk is going to waste. No mozzarella cheese. Cows are being, I don't know, slaughtered if they're not being eaten. It's, it's a nightmare to watch this. See, I was brought up, as I told you, in post-war, war, post-World War II America, and I was taught not to waste food. I, to this day, don't waste food. Do you know that? It hurts me to throw food in the garbage. Some in my family look at me like I'm crazy. Like, well, you're, you're not a poor guy, but you know I am in a way. I'm not poor. I'm frugal. I'm frugal. I don't throw food in the garbage. If, if I chop parsley and I don't use it that day, I'll put it back in the refrigerator and use it the next day, even though I have more fresh parsley. Why? Because I think it's a, you're going to laugh at me. It's like a sin to throw food in the garbage. It's how I was raised. My mother would say it was a joke in those days in the 50s. She's like, oh, think of the starving children in Europe. I didn't even know what that meant. I never met a starving child in Europe. But we were told about starving children in Europe. We didn't know about it. But we were told about the starving children in Europe. So I was raised to be frugal, okay? And we're all going to have to be frugal again. America has become a nation of um, waste. Waste, waste, waste. Waste. And you look around at the malls now. Macy's empty, Nordstrom's empty. You read that uh, the big chain just went out of business. Which one was that? Bergdorf Goodman, high-end department store. Been in business since 1908, gone, gone with the wind. Gone with the wind. What's going to happen to the malls? What will they turn them into? I said they're going to turn them into apartments and give them out to the bums. That's what, wait till you see. San Francisco, they put a bum in a hotel now. You hear? They give them a hotel room to sit in that. A filthy, no good, rotten bum who's done nothing for society. A rotten, stinking, drug addicted, alcoholic bum. They give them a hotel room and then they deliver them drugs and alcohol. And they say it's good for him. He doesn't have to go on the streets to buy it. You talk about insane people running the asylum. You got to come to San Francisco to see the insane people running the asylum. You want to talk about affirmative action? Take a look at the mayors of some of the big cities. The stupidest people on earth are the mayors of some of the biggest cities. And this is not limited to race. This is stupid. Being elevated to the highest positions, I've never seen anything like it. No common sense. Where are the smart people in this country? Where did they all go? They're watching a nation melt down. A moron in the city of San Francisco. How can one moron no one ever heard of? An invented mayor, a constructed mayor, literally created by the machine, close a city down like this and have the power over a whole city of people, of sheeple, who don't say a word. You say, well, they're passive. They're passive. Well, how do you explain New York? They're not passive people. 
How do they sit and listen to Meatball over there in New York? Meatball tells them we're going to base on science. Meatball now is a scientific genius. Did you hear Meatball? He has a very specific plan based on science. And whatever science he wants, he can get from the, uh, anyone they wants to call a scientist. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Who are the scientists? They're not political scientists. Who are the scientists that Cuomo is relying upon? Or the Michigan governor? Or the governor of California? Who are these so-called scientists who so far have gotten everything wrong? Who are they? These invisible bureaucrats who uh, may or may not be smart but they got this 100% wrong. They've destroyed the economy of these states. Who's going to pay the money? Where's the money going to come from? Let them eat cake, huh? I can't believe this. I just can't believe it. So people were getting sick in nursing homes, and they closed the whole city down. You had counties that had no disease. A study came out the other day, 50% of all the counties in the whole United States of America had no COVID, and yet the schmuck governors closed the whole state down. One size fit all. And I know why. I figured it out why. Again, you see, I have peasant's logic. Let me explain something to you. The reason I can figure things out is because my mind isn't cluttered with what I should be thinking. I think like a peasant, and therefore I think clearly. You know, I, I've read poems before on this subject. I'm thinking of Goldsmith about the, the, empty, me, the empty meadow. Oh, I got to find the poem for the next hour. I must find that poem. Uh, about the um, empty, the empty uh, farms, how the farms were emptying out in England during the Industrial Revolution, and how he wrote this great Oliver. It was Goldsmith, right? Great poem, and he would go back to the farm he grew up on, and they were empty. And he wrote about how a nation dies when the farms empty out and the people move to the cities. So, although I've been a city boy all my life, I think like a peasant, and I actually I've trained myself to continue to think like a peasant. Despite my higher degrees and my studies and my readings and my writings, I maintain a peasant's view of the world and so I can think clearly. So you see a thing like this, 50% of the counties have no disease and the governors don't say, okay, they can go back to work. They never should have been closed down. They'll just follow precautions. We'll have some economy running. No, why? It's simple because I think like a peasant. So here's what the peasant and me figured out. If these cowardly governors had said, for example, the counties in northern New York State, upper New York State, could open, many of them, no disease. Northern California, many of the counties, rural counties, open, never should have been closed. What would happen? Oh, you're discriminating against Latinos. You're discriminating against blacks. You're discriminating against the aged. You see, in other words, every protected group in this country turns out, listen to me carefully now, again, this is the peasant's view, Every protected class in America turns out to have the highest incidence of COVID-19. So we say, oh, well, so he lets the people open up in the upper counties and you keep these people locked up and closed down. So that's racism, sexism, ageism, thisism, thatism. And as a result, the cowardly governors have destroyed their own states. You see, it goes back to the Vietnam War. You got to kill for peace, I guess. Back in a minute. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. When we look at the needs that our people have, not the top 1%, bless them all. We don't begrudge anyone their success. Stop for a minute. This is Nancy Pelosi. 
the most powerful woman in the world, one of the richest women in the world, knocking the 1%, wanting more billions of dollars for her cronies under the guise of helping the poor. I never saw anything like this in my entire life. Can't she just shut the hell up? Does she think anyone buys her act anymore? Who believes a word that this woman says? How can she keep blowing out the national debt like there's no tomorrow and, and we don't have to pay the piper? Listen to her again. Just listen again, knocking the 1% of which she is in the top 001%. Listen. When we look at the needs that our people have. Our people. Not the top 1%. Bless them all. We don't encourage anyone their success or uh-huh, their achievement. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. we have to, there is no upside for our economy unless there's consumer confidence, unless uh-huh. people understand that the well-being of working people in our family is what keeps our economy strong. She's totally senile. Does anyone understand what she just said? She says it's penny foolish to stop the coronavirus bailouts, and she wants billions more. And she gives a rambling, nonsensical, stupid speech like this, and no one laughs at her. Listen to her now in 08. Listen to this one. Yes, I'm concerned about the national debt, but uh, I, don't, I think it's, uh, it would be pe- penny foolish to say, I'm so sorry, we can't do SNAP to give you food because there's a national debt. Again, SNAP again. We just again, did $2 food, trillion to the wealthiest people in our country. And she's one of them. One in four children in our country. Uh, here, she wants uh, more money now for food stamps. There's not enough graft in the food stamp business. You know, food stamps are one of the biggest, most corrupt elements of the American welfare system because they can be traded for cash. Food stamps are like uh, a World War II bonanza to the mafia. Food stamps, one of the greatest boondoggles in American political history. And this one wants more of them now put out there. Billions more now for food. Like they're starving people in America, you hear? You have an obesity epidemic that you could wrap around the moon and she's worried about that they're starving to death unless you give out more food stamps to the people. You hear this? Okay, it's a peasant's view of the world. I'll be back to give you more of it, whether you like it or not. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Spans of the spoken word. Welcome. This is a podcast. Greetings, pod recipients. You are entering the Savage Nation. Read the book. See the movie. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. It is The Savage Nation, where I'm sharing with you today a peasant's view of the world, my own. I realized in watching that show I've been talking about, my brilliant friend on HBO, the story of two girls growing up in poverty in post-war Italy and 60 years of their life, one becomes a famous novelist, and the dating of the boys, the marriages, the children, the careers, the loves lost, the loves won, the hopes, the despairs, the dreams, written by a great Italian novelist. Uh, In watching that, I got a new love for my own upbringing, because it was very similar 
to what I watched in that show, uh, how the boys and girls lived. It was very strict. And either you made it or you were thrown on the wayside. You know, like one of the boys in the class, when I was telling you the girls was smarter than the boys in the class as shown. In most cases, they are. In some cases, anyway. Today, boys are pushed aside because of other reasons. The feminist, um, the feminist insanity has destroyed males in America, mainly the boys. The whole war against men was taken out, not on the Harvey Weinsteins at, at first, but on the boys. Uh, but so they show the girls excelling in the classroom. And as I was saying to you in this thing, uh, my brilliant friend on HBO, so the girls seen as smart and this and that. And one of the boys stands up and he can't figure out like the answer when they're challenged in front of the class. How much is 1,640 divided by five? Something like that. And she thinks you see her head. Da, 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 and these are not actors. And she comes up with the answer and he can't think. So finally, one of them screams at the boy, you're not fit for anything. Become a vegetable peddler. She yells at him. And in a later scene, you see this poor boy as a vegetable peddler. Cauliflower, cauliflower, two liter, you know, two liter, cauliflower, tomatoes, beautiful tomatoes standing in the street. That's how the novel is written out. So anyway, I'm saying I was raised that way. Either you thrived and you were good or you, you didn't get ahead. That's all. You got to do something else. So now you take it down to, to the political class of today. In New York City, under this communist mayor bum, this filthy bum, this mook who destroyed the city, he has a school's chief who is a racist through and through by any estimate. This racist bum who runs the New York City schools in New York wants to eliminate all schools for the intelligent children, the highest IQ children. He wants to make sure that the Asians and the whites are no longer going to occupy most of the seats in these elite high schools in New York. He wants it to be fair and equal. Do you know what that is going to do to this city and to that city and to this country? Well, just look around at the universities and you'll see who's teaching there today and you'll see what it's going to do to the nation. But that's an example of what happens when communism takes over under the guise of fairness. Life is not fair. Not everyone is born with the same intelligence, nor the same skill sets, nor the same physical abilities, nor the same physical health. Life is just not fair. And the only way a society survives is by having equality. And without real equality, you can never have quality. When you have an imposed affirmative action, quality goes down the drain. Just look at Harvard University today. Look at what uh, Janet Napolitano has done to the University of California system. What this one monster has done to this great school system. I'm a graduate of the University of California. My children graduated from Cal State's. There were great schools when I moved to California. I loved it. But you really had to excel to survive in those environments because a lot of smart kids went there. Now there are no grades. Napolitano wants no admission standards, no grades whatsoever. So what do you think it's going to be like? When I was a kid, I went to a city college in New York, Queens College City University of New York. Couldn't afford to go to some paid school out there, an out-of-town school. Didn't have the money. I never forget the day I was riding with my father in his car. Second Avenue, it was a hot day, and I was in my junior year of high school. I wasn't a particularly good student, by the way. I want you to understand what I'm saying to you. I had trouble memorizing and learning formally in school. It wasn't my forte. I didn't understand that there's a different kind of intelligence. But I didn't have high grades where I would have gotten what was called a scholarship. There were none anyway to begin with to speak of. Now everyone has a scholarship, a scholarship for this, a scholarship for that, a scholarship for beating up your neighborhood, 
a scholarship for selling drugs. Oh, right to Harvard. We'll put you in the economics class because you're the biggest drug dealer in the street. I never saw anything like this. This is communism, straight out. You don't have to have, what, I put a label on it? It is what it is. It is what it is. Riding with my father in the car, hot day. I don't remember Cobblestone Street. Who remembers? And I told him I wanted to go to a college out of New York City. I didn't want to go to the city college. He looked at me in the car. He said, Michael, I just don't have the money to send you. He said, you're going to either have to go to a city college where the tuition is very low and have a job, or you're not going to go to college at all. I was so angry at him. I was so disappointed and angry, like my life collapsed. You know, I used to have the same mental penance on my wall as every other kid. Just the name of the schools, whatever they were, Harvard, Yale, Rice, name it. You name the school. In my mind, they were there for my taking, but they weren't because we couldn't afford it. So I'm very much like the poor kids, even though they were girls and I was a boy. I guess I'm still a boy in, in my beautiful, what's this called, the name of the show that I'm talking about? So on and on. My brilliant friend about the two, two poor girls in Naples post-World War II. I see the world through the eyes of a poor person. And although I'm no longer a poor person, I forced myself to keep thinking the way a poor person does because I've never gone wrong in doing so. Never have I gone wrong in seeing the world through the eyes of a poor person. So even when I was at a rich place, like let's say I was at Mar-a-Lago and I've been there. Before I knew the president, I would visit or I went there. Maybe one of the richest places on earth. Rich people, a lot of rich people, a lot of phonies in there too. And um, if you can walk with kings and never lose the common touch, then you'll be a man, my friend. That was written by a great poet. If you can walk with, it's a poem, If, by Rudyard Kipling. I never forgot that poem. I learned it in high school. If you can walk with kings and never lose the common touch. I've never lost the common touch. So if I'm in Mar-a-Lago, I can talk to the busboy the same way I can talk to a billionaire record owner, uh, a billionaire owner of something. I can talk to the peasant. I can talk to the billionaire. I can ride on a mule. I can ride in a limo. I can fly in the potato class or I could fly in a private jet. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'd rather be on the private jet, but I could fly potato class if I have to. I'd rather uh, ride in a limo, but I can ride a horse if I have to, or a bicycle in this case. I really don't like horses. Play some music for me. I think I'm losing my audience right now. They don't know what I'm talking about because they want me to talk about COVID and the disease and epidemiology and stuff like that. But you could get that anyway. You don't need me for that. What do you want me to talk about today on the show? You can call 855-407-282. You could see it's a, a potpourri of topics. And I'm on air. I'm live. It uh, will be, of course, broadcast later on on the podcast, the entire show. I think, you know, by the way, this is something interesting. At the end of every show, I speak to Robert and Jim. Jim's not here. He's on, actually, Jim's at a funeral. I hope Jim's doing well. I... um. I sit with Robert. I say, what are we going to call today's show? What's the title of the show for the podcast? And I have to come up with a title for every show. I don't have to, but I do. We could just throw it up there and put a date on it. And I read you the titles of the shows we've done over the last few months. This is one of the most successful podcasts in the United States of America. Huge audience. Huge audience. But each show is a gem of itself. And we come up with a title. What would the title of today's show be? Robert gave me a title for today's show. It's a peasant's view of the world. But there's more to it than that. It's not just a peasant's view of the world. 
because it or if it is that it's not just that it's not limited to me talking about the HBO series that I've been talking about I'm talking also about the disease I'm talking about famine will follow owing to the mismanagement by the federal government now I could talk about the topics of the day I saw the video of the um, two white guys shooting the black guy with a shotgun. I was shocked when I watched it. In fact, it's it so hurt me. It so got me crazy that I wouldn't even, didn't even put it on michaelsavage.com. I didn't have, I looked at it in, in disbelief that this could be happening in this day and age. The white Georgia man who along with his son is charged with murdering an unarmed black jogger, Amut Arbery, has a past connection to the victim. He investigated him when he worked for the DA's office. You know, now, even if this guy, let's say, had a background, a little petty criminal here and there, whatever. Let's say he even was looking to burglarize something. Did that justify shooting him three times with a shotgun? That's the world I want to live in? Never, never. You look at these guys, you say, this is like in America today? A shotgun? They shoot a black guy three times? Watch the video. You could scream. This can't be going on. Just what the country needed right now is a, is a hate crime in front of your eyes. It's not bad enough what we're living through. Now we need this. Okay, let me take some calls. Like, like here I got one taker on, the, on what I wanted to talk on, uh, you know, which is the uh, series on HBO. I can't watch, wait to watch the rest of season one tonight. I may binge it, binge it out this weekend. I, I you know, I, you say, how did I find this this show? my brilliant friend by accident i was scanning you know you get bored i'm tired of the uh, mexican mafia movies i'm tired of this and that you want something different so i stumble on i happen to like italian neoclassic dramas to begin with i like neorealism i like italian music i love the italian language but most importantly i love fine art and i love great writing so watch this and it's about the two girls but it's much more than that it's about a whole society the violence in that community the Neapolitan dialect is interesting to me. It's so thick that even if you speak Italian, you're going to need subtitles to understand it. And again, if you understand any of the Italian films, and I grew up on them, believe me, I grew up on them. I used to go to art theaters when I was even a teenager in Queens, New York. There was a theater called the Mayfair Theater, which once movies you know, went to the big theaters, the owner of that theater converted it to an art cinema. So they used to run a lot of these movies before they appeared on television by Fellini, Rossellini, Vicante, De Sica. I grew up on it. Uh, later on, it became a porno theater after I left the neighborhood. And you want to hear something interesting as a side note? Again, this is a little rambling. I'm rambling on here. That same Mayfair Theater, I was reading years later about Harvey Weinstein. He grew up in a very similar na- neighborhood right near me. He used to go to the Mayfair Theater and watch the art films, just as I did. He went into the movie business, became very successful. And then, of course, the rest is history. But I grew up on Fellini, Rossellini, Vicanti, Di Sica. So, again, I love that genre, you know, like going back to the Red Balloon. The, the destitution of the era, how the Italian society was destroyed by World War II. Dusty fields, abandoned buildings, stray dogs, goat herds walking through a city, um, things like that. And then the music that emerged from, the, from this, you know, it reminds me of a Chinese phrase, uh, out of the muck a lotus grows. I never forgot that phrase, out of, the, out of the muck a lotus grows. Think about what that means, out of the muck a lotus grows. It's the muck, it's the mud that is fertile. 
The sterile suburbs are not fertile with thought or imagination. They're devoid of, of culture. I mean, great. They're fine now. They're actually great because there's no bums around. I get it. But this is a different time. This is like post, it's like a, a post-apocalyptic America, what we're living in now. The cities, what are they going to become? People are going to bail out of cities now, move into the, the boring suburbs. That's another story for another time, another show. Out of the yamuk, a lotus grows. I was thinking about that one. It reminds me of another story, since I'm into telling you stories from a peasant's view of life. I'll tell you another one. During the polio epidemic of the 1950s, there was a panic raging through the land. People were afraid they were gonna, their kids were going to get it, or die, widen up in an iron lung. And I lived through that. And you saw pictures of kids and the iron lungs. It, it scared the hell out of me. I remember talking to my sister, what would you do with an iron lung? I couldn't imagine living inside an iron lung to breathe. So they closed swimming pools. No one knew where the disease came from, polio, at the time. And there was a great panic in the land, you know. So we're talking early 50s. My father had a little store in a, in a slum neighborhood in Manhattan at the time, Lower East Side, Ludlow Street. He grew up in the neighborhood after he landed as an immigrant with his dad, and that's where they lived, and he opened the store. We lived in Queens, but he had the little store, and it connected. There was 10 men in there, some men and women, selling their merchandise with little stands and stalls. So he would make me walk in those dirty streets, and he would hold my hand. I must have been five years old, and I didn't even know how he knew it because I told you. You see, my father was not educated beyond the ninth grade, but he was very smart. He had a true peasant's view of the world, and he knew, he knew an awful lot. He read widely, but he said to me, I said, Dad, why are you making me walk in this dirty street? Now, remember now, during the polio epidemic, why, Dad, are you making me? He would hold my hand. He said, look around at the garbage in the street. I said, I am. It's disgusting. He said, listen to me. He said, by me walking with you in these dirty streets, you're building up a resistance to diseases. Now, how did he know that? Because he read and he was smart. And he said, if you stay out in the suburbs all the time, you're not going to be exposed to the germs and your body's not going to learn how to fight them. Now, remember, early 50s, I'm five years old. Think about the effect on me at that time. Sorry, I got to take a break. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Uh, before this hour, this part of the hour ends, I want to just a shout out to someone who you may know who died. Radio Hall of Famer Barry Farber, one of the greats in talk radio, died the other day at age 90. And I don't want to go into it. Many of you don't know who he is, but he was a legendary talk show host, like myself, a National Radio Hall of Fame inductee. Great man, one of the, the, the deans of talk radio. And his daughter said, he told me recently that his concept of death was, quote, going somewhere I've never been before, like Finland or Estonia. I, I don't have the same view as him. I hate death. I, I have come from a different background, a mental background than him. My people fight death. We don't embrace it. I'm not from Marin County. Here, these people are ready to die the minute that they're born with the, the fake Buddhism. They accept death. They welcome it. Whatever, welcome it. Tell it to go to hell. To go to someone else. I come from a different world. We fight death. We hate death. Go visit someone else who wants you. But anyway, Barry died. I met him once, took him to dinner with a friend of mine. Wonderful man. Conservative radio host. Six decades in the broadcasting business. One of the greats. One of the greats, Barry Farber. Back in a minute. Michael Savage, a host like no other. (laughs) 
Welcome back to a peasant's view of the world, formerly known as the Savage Nation. So the world enters a new phase, the reopening, the reopening. And of course, the New York Times sniffing and saying, oh, it's too soon. Governor Meatball says it's too soon. He'll rely upon science. Governor Newsom again, keeping the state in prison, destroying businesses like the, the, the Grim Reaper. I never saw anything like this. And of course, they attack President Trump, saying Trump has chosen to open up nonetheless. Trump is among the few leaders to push for reopening as cases continue rising in many parts of the country. Uh, well, you see, that's because Trump wants America to survive for something. You guys all have a job at the New York Times. You may not have one soon. What are you going to talk about then? Uh, yeah, some people are going to get the disease. Some are going to get it and get sick. Some are going to die. But the country will die unless you reopen. Do you understand that in your academic towers, your stupid ivory towers, your, your tenured positions at Berkeley, your morons, you, like the midget there whose feet don't, don't even reach the ground? Lithuania, small country. They're opening too. They're doing it a different way. They're uh, blocking off streets for outdoor restaurant service. That's a good idea. Instead, the genius in California is encouraging bookstores to open. Wait, listen to this. Listen to how smart Governor Newsom's health people are. They're going to open bookstores today for takeout service. Now, I don't understand this one. How can you go to a bookstore and buy a book on a curb? The object of a bookstore is to browse, Governor Newsom. Have you ever been in one? What you do is you go in a bookstore and you browse. That's how you buy a book. Otherwise, you just buy one online. What do you mean a curbside service for a bookstore? How dumb can these bureaucrats be in, in Sacramento, California? How aptly dumb can they be? How stupid and disconnected from reality? Now you understand why I'm saying it's a peasant's view of the world. These people are dumb. They don't have a peasant's view of reality. They're too stupid to even think like uh, the droppings of a donkey. A donkey would have more common sense than these health experts that these stupid governors are listening to. Denmark is opening schools to younger children. That's good. What do you want, a whole, a, a whole generation of idiots, Governor Newsom? I don't understand these people. Children are virtually immune to this disease. If you get it, that's about it. Why are you imprisoning the future generation of this state and of this country by locking children out of school? They're not stupid enough? with the garbage you're putting into their heads in the classrooms, enforced by your, your, your military police, call the state teachers and the state uh, this curriculum and that curriculum. They're not dumb enough. You didn't dumb them down enough. Now you've got to cripple them all together. What the hell are these idiots doing? The other day I called them mandarins, the mandarins who crippled China in the uh, 10th century. These are the new mandarins. They're crippling the United States of America. I don't want to get too excited over this. You know, I've got to watch my health. I don't want to get overly excited. I don't want to get sick again. But I'll tell you, this is sickening. I see the dumbest people on earth running these states. They're not the smartest. Why do you assume that the political class is the smartest class on earth? You haven't heard of uh, Pelosi talking, rambling on and on? She's smart. Clever is one thing, smart is another. Shrewd is one thing, smart is another. Shrewd is not smart. Shrewd is just shrewd. Conniving is not smart. Let's take some calls to hell with them. The hell with the political class. Okay, Oakland, California, Ross Line 8. Let's see what you have to say. What's your topic? The, uh, the yeah. series, the TV series. Yes, fast, quick. 
just last night I watched a couple of episodes, and I've been absolutely captivated and impressed with the quality of the series. And I was pleasantly surprised that you opened today's show by talking about it. Why? Because I'm, I'm a, um, a knuckle-dragging conservative? Absolutely not. I've been, uh, I've, been, I've been listening to you since the very beginning. I mean, I'm just joking. I like, they would assume by stereotype, I, Michael Savage, shouldn't like a show that is so artistic about two girls, right? It's so much uh, real compared to what Hollywood is putting out right now. Oh, my. Do you know I looked into this show? Do you know that they actually built that set? There's no such apartment complex that exists. They, they, bu- that they built the set. Yeah. I don't know how many millions they must have poured into making this. It's an Italian production, by the by the way. It was made in Italy. RAI, I think, made it. It's and absolutely captivating. Astounding. The the level of uh, of quality is I, something that Spielberg ought to study this this series to learn how to make real movies again. I don't. Think Thank you for the call. I'm glad you love it. I'm glad you love it. So there's something for you and the family to watch during this, this lockdown time. What's the name of it again, Mike? I don't know. I just tuned in, huh? What's it called? It's called a, uh, My Brilliant Friend on HBO. I don't get that HBO. It's all left-wing porno. Okay, so you don't get it. I get it. I get it that you don't get it. That's all. Okay, they meant to flatten the curve, and they flatten your life. Now what do you want to do about it? What are you going to do when you have such morons running a country like this? Putting a salon owner in jail. Now, here's something that, to, for the books. This will be remembered of some things that no one can comprehend how they're being said. How did Gavin Newsom come to conclude that the entire epidemic in California began in a nail salon? I scratched my head. Where did I read that? Nowhere. What quote scientist told Gavin Newsom it began in a nail salon? How could they even tell us that it began in a nail salon? Can anyone listening to this show rationally tell me how Gavin Newsom came to the conclusion that the COVID-19 epidemic in California began in a nail salon? Please call the show right now. Put this peasant at ease. Teach me something I don't know. How did Gavin Newsom come to conclude it began in a nail salon, therefore we're not opening a nail salon? How did he come up with this? How do you know it began in a nail salon? How do you even determine that? Uh, Is there an epidemiologist in the house? Is there a psychiatrist in the house? Why are you blaming a nail salon now? And then you got that judge who should go to jail, who put that woman in jail for the nail salon job. Oh, he, he should be jailed. These bum judges, some of them. Wow. Wow, you put a bum in a black robe. Look, well, it goes back to a saying I had from the beginning days of the show. The stench from the bench is making me clench. Does that more or less still hold true? This is dedicated to the moronic judge who jailed the nail salon owner. The stench from the bench is making me clench. I'd like to know what's in his background. I'd like to, I don't think there's a, a cleaner in his whole state that could clean that guy's robes. That's a metaphor, by the way. I don't really know. Governor Newsom says California's virus outbreak began in nail salon. Can anyone explain that to me? I read the story in Newsmax. And at the end of the article, he gave it on a television show, CNBC. He's the whole thing started in the state of California in a nail salon, said Gavin Newsom. So blah, blah, blah. And he said, Newsom did not, Newsom did not offer evidence or more information about the outbreak in nail salons. How does he come up with that? Which pinhead from Sacramento's health department, who previous to this epidemic was an unknown nobody, determined that it was started in a nail salon. The phone number, if you're listening to the show, if you're the idiot who gave him that advice, first of all, I think there should be a COVID prison after this is all over. Oh, yeah. I think we need to create COVID jails, not for people who won't wear masks and who are body slammed by thug cops, but for thug cops who beat people up for not wearing masks. That's number one. 
also in COVID prison, should be the governors who have used this power to destroy economies and to control whole populations. Who else would you put in COVID prison? How about the news people who've been lying from the beginning? Not about the fact that it's a real epidemic uh, in this country, a pandemic uh, internationally, and that it can kill. No, no, no. But the overreaction based upon false data is what we are talking about. Prison for destroying the economy. Because these modelers should go to jail. I told you many times there's got to be consequences to stupidity that costs people's livelihood and lives. If a surgeon, while performing surgery, makes a drastic error and cuts a nerve that he shouldn't cut, or cuts an artery or a vein, the surgeon either loses his license or goes to prison for malpractice, or even worse. Why should a modeler who destroyed an entire nation, if not the world, not go to jail for life? Tell me. What, oops, I was, I was wrong? I, oops, I made a mistake? Who was giving these governors, who are just actors, this false information? Never forget what a governor is. A governor is an actor. And the better the hair, the higher they go. I once said to you before, I was never wrong, I'm not wrong yet, that if you look back at all the presidents in American history, whoever had more hair won. Donald Trump, I mean, he had more hair. Well, no, actually, Hillary had more hair. I meant man-to-man, whoever had more hair won. Uh, Hillary had more hair, but it didn't count. The theorem didn't count because she was a woman. But when you got a man running, if he has more hair, wavier, better looking, higher, higher they go. I don't know how Biden can't win. It's impossible. You get me started on that. The guy is in a bug house somewhere in a basement in Delaware, and they wheel him out on a, on a, on a skateboard every once in a while. He gives like a robotic, idiotic speech. They ask him one question, he falls apart. Jill, what was that question? This is crazy. That's the Democrat Party. They want to run the country and the world. Why? They have proof they can do it better? Can anyone do it better than Donald Trump is doing? Uh, Jimmy in New York. There he goes. Jimmy, you're back. Hey, Jimmy from New York. Jimmy. Dr. Savage. So you know, I'm so glad you called. I've been asking about you for days. I know your cousin, God rest her soul, got it and died. She got COVID, right? Yes, God rest then we did, Wait, then we didn't hear from you, and I figured you died. I didn't know what happened. No, I told you. The only way I'm dying is if, like I told you a long time ago, anything happens to you, I'm going right after you. Remember that? <laughs> God forbid. So, Jimmy, let me. You're, you're, you're of Italian heritage, correct? Are you kidding? Yes. Ray Charles could see that, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Did you see this, this girl series? I'm, see, I'm calling it girly series, but it isn't. My brilliant friend. Have you watched it? I've been watching it. There's two series I watched, and then they got the third series, but I think because of this uh, pandemic, um, they're holding everything up. But it's absolutely beautiful. It's but how could you as a tough New, Jer- a tough New York Italian guy like it when it's considered so artistic? It is. You know, I think of the Medici's and all that and the arts and the, 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 the beautiful sights when I was there because I was there last year. Where, in the Naples area or all throughout Italy? Oh, no, all throughout Italy. I was there about uh, a month and a half. Now, the, the Naples situation, have you been to Napoli? Na- Naples, yeah, I've been, but we lost a lot of people with the earthquake back in the day, remember? Are, are you a Napoli Don? Yeah, Napoli Don. You are? Napoli Don. Yeah, don't hold it against me. We're... Do, you, do you know the Neapolitan dialect at all? I mean, do, you, do your people speak the Neapolitan dialect? Yeah, we speak in a dialect that when we go there to speak Italian, they say, they can't understand. They speak high dialect. Can you believe this? I, I understand that the Neapolitan dialect in this series is so thick that there are even subtitles even for the Italians in Italy. They don't understand it. Would you believe it? 
Well, no, I wouldn't, because if you're a true number one, who are great cooks and excellent lovers, you would understand it. Then don't forget, my cousin, you know. The- uh, wait, how'd you throw in excellent lovers? What, are you looking for a date? Who are you? Get- what, 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 are you what are you competing with, Governor Cuomo now for a date? Dr. Cuomo? Cuomo was you. No, well, where does a governor have the, 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 the I was going to use a, a vulgar word, the guts. I have another word I'd like to use. Where does a guy have the guts to come out on the air and say he's looking for a date? Have you ever heard anything like this in your life? Him and his brother are, are a disgrace. I think they should do an incestuous show. That'll- is he stupid? Is Governor Cuomo stupid? I mean, I want to ask you something. Is he just stupid? He's an absolute ignoramus moron. And he- Where did he get that face from? Where did he get such a mug face? The brother at least has a pleasant-looking face, the TV one. Where did he wind up with that mangled face? The guy who thinks he's Charles, Charles Atlas? Cuomo looks like the... Judge. No, but where did the governor of New York get that mangled uh, puss on him? Where did it come from? He got it from his father. No, but I, I was a kid in New York. The father was a dignified man compared to this one. If I ever told you something about his father that my grandfather knows from the docks with all his gang that he had when he worked on the piers. Let me tell you, you know why he didn't run for president? Cuomo, the, the senior? He was a how, how would I know? I don't know. I've been in California most of my life. Well, that's rhetorical, but people had the, the rumor that he was, uh, you know, a switch hitter. Oh, here we go again. So wait a minute. So when the campaign against Ed Koch was run, uh, uh, what, how did the saying go that they ran it against him? Not the homo. What was it? Better Como than the homo? No, not the homo. Now, how could that not haunt him for the rest of his political career? But because he's a Democrat, he's, he's immune to being called a homophobe? I don't know what he is, but he's useless here. And- now, what's the... Wait, you're talking about something. Now, you got my... You piqued my interest. Go ahead. There was a rumor about a month ago that he has nipple rings. Now, where did that come from? Maybe he got to hang up his... I, no, stop. Don't get graphic. <laughs> I said, th- in the middle of an epidemic... This guy goes on the air and says he's looking for a girlfriend. I don't know. It didn't ring true to me. Something's, something's wrong there. I'm sorry. Freak. He's a narcissist. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A guy like that don't have to look for a girlfriend. They throw themselves at a guy like that. Himself out of office. Ah, come on. With that kind of power, are you joking? Not at all. He needs to go on the air and say he needs a girlfriend? He just was on it, begging. Did you see the interview with him and De Niro? De Niro wants to play him in a movie, and he says, yeah, I would love you to play me in a movie. Two geniuses together. Yeah, but they need a man for that part. (laughs) Oh, very quick, very quick on the uptake. Wait, one more thing about him and De Niro. So De Niro is very carefully controlled by his agents, and you never see him next to another man because he's diminutive. He's about 5'3", right? 5'4"? He's about 5'2". He wears heels and no... A 5'2", no less. A due. He's a 5'2", that's it? Five years. Right, so but he's a fine actor, no question about it. Wonderful actor, De Niro. So a picture comes out in the Daily News today of him next to Cuomo. He looks like a like a, a Barnum and Bailey uh, a midget next to him. <laughs> he looks like he's in a midget a midget show. He's a, Jimmy. Thank God you're laughing and you're healthy. I, I really am now. You got my curiosity about the waterfront and Marlon Brando and the hooks. All right, see you again. Back in a minute. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. We have a very specific plan, probably the most specific plan. And the governing philosophy here is, I understand the emotion and the anxiety and the stress, and we all want to reopen as quickly. He has a philosophy like Francis the Talking Mule has a philosophy. He has such a philosophy, Governor Meatball, that he's in the hot seat now, Governor Meatball, because a new study found out 
that New York City seeded the entire U.S. outbreak. Oh, yeah. An epidemiologist at the Yale School of Public Health, no less, said, we now have enough data to feel pretty confident that New York was the primary gateway for the rest of the country. So in late January, when Donald Trump signed an executive order banning travel from China, and this MOOC called him a racist, and this MOOC kept everything open, the people from New York were traveling and spreading it, infected, seeding outbreaks around the country, no social distancing from Mr. Meatball, outbreaks from New York, Louisiana, Texas, Arizona, and the West Coast. Thank you very much for your plan. The Westwood One Podcast Network.